Welcome everyone to Solving for B. I'm your host today, Kyle Smith, and with me I have two members of the ESG Reporting Partners team, Jonathan Fisher and Leanne Bishop, and also Jennifer Sadenwater and Catherine Warren from ESG Link, a consulting firm helping companies streamline the sustainability reporting process. So today's episode is a guide for companies new to ESG reporting. Where do you start? What are common mistakes you can avoid? and what are rating agencies looking for. So in the last 18 months, Jennifer and Catherine, you've written several ESG reports for first time reporting companies. Jonathan and Leanne, you've helped on the web development side of a number of first time reports. So from your collective experience, what would you say are the success factors to consider when developing a year one report? Catherine, let's start with you. Thank you. Well, we recommend that before you launch into developing a report, you understand internally, what is the objective? What are you trying to do with the report? Which really you wanna start with who is your audience? Who do you want to read this report and get more information out of it? So once you know your audience and your objective, then then you're going to be able to scope what uh, what your message should be. And at that point, we often see people going out to look at what other reports look like and start comparing themselves to other companies. So that's why it's important to know what your objective is. You know, I would, I would elaborate on those stakeholders a little bit. Why don't you guys, yeah. you know, so, break down the many buyers for this process, right? Right. So a lot of our customers are being brought to the table for an ESG report by their investors by institutional investors, by their shareholders. And as a result of this, we see boards then getting involved as well. Um, And so when you have the investor as your primary audience, you wanna make sure that your information is accessible and you're not over-reporting and they don't have to go through a lot of extraneous information or pages or diagrams to find what they need. Uh, The other audience could be your employees, it could be future employees, it could be your customers. Lots of times customers now are expecting their suppliers to be uh, consistent with their ESG expectations. Um, And it often is a deal breaker if you're looking at a big complex RFP uh, or negotiation process that you have a clear ESG report. We've seen this data show up on the HR side, even in the recruiting for the employees, right? Future employees, you mentioned employees, but even the future employees right. are, are looking at these reports now, um, deciding if they want to go work for the company. Right. Yep. So we're, we're seeing that when part of your talent strategy is trying to attract younger generations who want to under, make sure that your company is walking your talk and understands what part of environmental, social, and governance topics are relevant to your business and where they should be transparent with the topics that impact their business. This is very important to a lot of the generations that are entering the workforce or have just recently entered the workforce. You know, you think about brand loyalty and especially in the year of 2020, Um, I think that having a good sustainability presence and being as transparent as you can in these three different areas, it really, um, it shows that you're not just talking the talk, but that you're really walking the walk and you're answering to all of your stakeholders, whether they're internal or external, 
And I think that that brand loyalty will carry you a long way in times of stress in the market and in especially in the different industries, whether it's the energy industry or, you know, the medical industry that we've seen this past year. It does more to it's not just about financials and it's not just about responding to investors, not that, Catherine, that you were implying that people do, but but that isn't the end game. That's not the long term benefit. You know, I mean, it's kind of, you know, it's part of it. And and I think it's really interesting where you see a lot of people sticking with brands this past year that, you know, maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. I think about the media's use of these reports as well. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we've seen historical catastrophes and disasters uh, affect companies. And I think sometimes the analysts are going out there as well as the reporters are going out there and looking to see what this company was doing to mitigate risk in this process as well. Yeah. Floods, hurricanes, whatever it might be. Absolutely. How, how about the process of selecting a, a framework and yeah, what determining what your approach might be when doing a, a first-time report? Um, I can speak to that. Really what we recommend to most clients when they're starting, um, especially for a year one ESG report, is we recommend using SASB, the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, the metrics um, suggested by SASB, because uh, they really connect businesses and investors on the financial impacts of sustainability, and they are industry specific and based on metrics that companies most likely already collect data for. So that makes them very cost effective and um, efficient and to implement. And they, they consider what's material for your business based on your industry, because not all metrics are created equal in terms of their significance across industries. What's significant to one may, may not be for, for the next one. And also, in, as this whole space is changing and there's the possibility of future regulation, they position a company very well if they want to provide or seek assurance on this type of data in the future so that they have the proper data available that could be audited. And no matter your framework of choice, whether it's SASB or something else, when when you're documenting your ESG story, it's important to focus on the quality. Like Liam was saying, don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk and focus on quality over quantity of information and kind of avoid that boilerplate language because stakeholders want substance and they really want to know specifically how you're performing under each of the ESG categories and what commitments you may be making for the future too. And you don't have to disclose everything, right? Right. I mean, right. you know, it, you can say, well, we're just not ready to disclose something or that's not pertinent to our business. So we're not, we don't have anything to disclose, not applicable. Um, but I think it's just important to start and, and make that commitment. And I think where ESG link really helps people see is that it's not just reactionary, you know, to the initial response from, or call from investors, but it's a long-term game. It's, it's sustainable going forward where we're going to make plans and set benchmarks and have targets for, you know, 
24 months out, three years out, five years out. And so I think that, you know, that's a key ingredient, realizing that, you know, when you get into your first report, you are getting into it for the right reasons and you, or maybe the wrong reasons, you know, maybe you're reacting to somebody, but at least you're starting and you, you understand what your intent is. And I think mm-hmm. that's what ESG link helps clients do, you know, where they thought, oh gosh, we don't have anything to say. Well, holy cow, they've got a whole bunch of stuff and they didn't realize it. And it was right there in front of them, you know? And I think even in those instances where you have clients that may be reacting to a request from investors or whatnot, and that's their their driving factor for starting an ESG report, through the process along the way, they realize the value. They really do. And a lot, some clients have said, well, what if we don't have an ESG strategy or we don't think we have one or maybe we need to develop one first? And whether you define it as an industry strategy or not, you have one. And through the reporting process, it's revealed because the conversations that need to happen and the process of data collection just reveal the strengths and areas for improvement in future years. And like yeah, I you said, not disclosing everything at once, you need to have space so that you can build upon it too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Catherine, you said that the the other day we were talking and you said the process just reveals itself, doesn't it? I mean, the, it, it reveals the strategy itself. Yeah, it, it yeah. does. And, you know, as Jennifer said, we'll start with a customer that says, well, we're, we're not a wind company. You know, we're not going to go out and put a bunch of solar panels on our operations. So this is not relevant to us. And as we go through the process of identifying environmental, social and governance topics, you do realize that it that there are topics that are relevant to your business, even if you weren't doing an ESG report formally. So that's part of the process is even deciding which topics are important to the company and start building your disclosure strategy. And it's, remember, it's important. Nothing's required right now. So you could go through this process of assembling all the disclosures that would be potentially relevant and not putting them in the report, but you track them year over year and you watch as the market changes. You listen as like your customers might start to say something different or if your investors bring it up. But just because you start to put your your head around the different topics doesn't mean it goes right into a report full 100% too. Right. And it's going to change and evolve over time, right? Yep. Because, I mean, who could have predicted a global pandemic or who could have predicted all of the, you know, the social issues that we encountered this year? Yeah. Is there, is there something of a chicken and egg that you find that's out there where it's, ESG strategy is business strategy and business strategy is ESG strategy and that what gets measured and tracked improves. And so there is an ROI attached to this process that aligns with the original business goals to begin with. Well, if you think about why a company would use a metric for anything, it's to measure your progress on something that's been deemed important for the business's objectives and strategy, right? So how are you doing as a business? And it could be anything from safety to revenue growth to, you know, pick what it is. All we're doing now is adding to that population of metrics, topics that are in environmental, social, and governance that you may possibly already be collecting and measuring. But now you're able to show how that impacts the performance of the company, and especially if it's relevant enough, it's impacting the financial performance. 
So that's why it's important not to start with this huge group of metrics that may or everybody else is doing them. So we're going to do them. You should really look at the ones that are relevant for your industry because the chances are it's going to advance your business strategy, even if that wasn't the original intent. Yeah, I've actually, I have a friend of mine, he was given two other like competitor reports and he's like, well, we have to do a report now, you know, (laughs) said the CEO or what have you, because our competitors are doing reports. So we have to do one and he doesn't know where to start. And I think that the important thing is just to try and find what's relevant to your business and you do you don't worry about anybody else. Do you know what I mean? I mean, you can do comparisons. We're not measuring you against other people. We're measuring you against you and how you did last year and how you might do next year. And if this happened, what would you do? You know, are you planning for risk? Are you mitigating issues? You know, so it's really interesting how it's evolved over the past, I would say, at least five to seven years that I've been part of these. So Mm -hmm. I think it's really important for these first movers to think about that perspective. Is it a burden or is it an opportunity, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that makes all the difference in how you approach it, how you internally sell it up and through the organization, how the stakeholder engagement occurs throughout the process. Maybe touch a little bit around the mindset of your first report, you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, I can speak a little bit to that. And because there, the other thing is, is that I've seen where clients say, oh, well, such and such, you know, aggregator or ranking rating agency called and we got uh, a hideous rating. So we, we have to fix this and we have to fix this right now. And I think that the point is, is to, you know, Again, you can't really worry about that. You can respond to it. And, you know, online reporting makes it easier to respond to it because you have an evergreen site. So you can log in and say, okay, we've crafted this or we've chosen not to disclose this because of X, Y, and Z. And, and maybe you can, you know, explain your side and, you know, he who frames the argument wins the argument if this was an argument. But I think that it's important in terms of, those rating agencies looking for data and trying to define those, you know, motivating factors, you want to be as accessible and as transparent as you can. And you, you're trying to please everyone, which is a challenge when you're talking about internal stakeholders and shareholders and, you know, all of these ratings and rankers out there. But I think that you have to define your story and you have to tell your story before someone else does and before someone else tries to frame it for you, you know? Because they will, they're seeking the data, they will report. And if you don't jump in and claim, put your stake in the ground and say, this is this is us, this is our story, this is what we strive for, these are our aspirations, um, the, the, the wrong story will be told as well. And companies need to kind of know who's out there, um, who to contact if perhaps maybe their, their industry is classified wrong. If someone's rating them against the, which isn't their business, it's not going to reflect well. So they, they need to just stay on top of that and, and, and have open and constant communication too with those rating agencies. Well, and I think that's why it's so important to try and make a plan. You know, I mean, you can get your first report out there for the sake of getting it out there. Mm -hmm. If, if you truly have a deadline and, you know, 
proxy season is in play and all of these other crazy things affect you, sure, that's okay. But I don't think that you let that define your strategy going forward. And, you know, you, you need to sit down and think it through and it helps, you know, to talk to folks like you or talk to folks like Jonathan. I mean, Jonathan, you always talk about branding and you don't control your brand, right? Um, I can't remember the exact turn of phrase that you use. You have a way with word, Jonathan. Yeah, you can't um, control your brand. You can only manage your brand, right? So that's a, lot of right. out, a lot of things are out of control in the marketplace. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. And I think that applies to ESG, don't you? I mean, to a certain extent, it's like you can't control everything. So you just have to do you and 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 be as responsive as you can, I think, right? And I think Jennifer, you know, she hit on it. This is a huge opportunity. That's why I asked the question, burden versus opportunity. How do you, how do you go, how do you attack this process, yeah. right? And control the story, set your story. And this is relevant data that will, when managed to Catherine's point, is part of the business strategy mm-hmm. and it exists there already. And so this is exciting. And yeah. Yeah. you should want to do this information, you know, yeah. because yeah. it puts you in the driver's seat with all of these stakeholders and to your point, Leanne, what you disclose now and tomorrow or never, that's that again, that puts you in the control of for managing that messaging as you decide to distribute it and when and where you do, and how you decide to distribute. It. And to me, that's really exciting about this process. Mm-hmm. And I think it makes you stronger, you know? Yep. I want to go back to your comment on opportunities because another framework that we like to use is the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures, or TCFD. That's often put hand-in-hand with SASB. And when you look at the disclosures that are recommended from TCFD, they always re- they always refer to the risks and opportunities related to climate change, right? And so there's often a sense of dread, like we're going to have to talk about emissions or how we pollute and our air quality. And we're, you know, we're an energy company and people think we're the bad guys. There's opportunity too, because you may be selling equipment that aids in in containment or it helps keep fugitive emissions out of the oil field. Or like, for instance, we had a customer that sells PPE to the offshore wind industry. So that is an opportunity as the wind industry becomes more of a player in the overall generation portfolio all over the world. They're going to grow. They're going to need PPE. You sell that. So there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. So that's and that's related. And that's to renewable climate, energy. You know? It's like a pay it forward yeah. thing. You know, it really it's is. Like- so it, there, it's a puzzle uh, that can be solved um, in the storytelling. And that's really, you know, so the opportunity is, is often lost in the dust when you first think about this, but uh, it's, it's such an important part of it and, and such an upside because now you're thinking about what share of our, what share of the revenue is now PPE that's going to the wind industry. Yeah. yeah you, you talk about uh, public versus private for a moment and some of the values that are maybe a little different between the two, because I think this is a great segue, if you will, or a little transition into it. The differences between, you know, a publicly traded company and a private company wanting to do this. Mm-hmm. What are what are some of the pros and cons there for them in that regard? If you're a private, we company, were just talking to one this morning, weren't we, ladies? Yeah, right. I mean, well, so yeah, so the opportunity with the private company is you're going to be going out looking for more investors, right? And and also for a private company, you may, and well, a public one too, 
you might be hoping that you're going to be identified as a uh, investment for people who are looking to invest in ESG or something green or energy transition. So there's there's that. You want to be part of the scope of that investment portfolio. Um, the access to capital, uh, whether you're private or public. Um, Jennifer, you should speak more on the public because that's your your previous domain too, right? Yes, we've also done um, pre-IPO clients that have been mm -hmm. thinking of going public and felt that um, having an ESG story would give them a little bit of, of, of an advantage and possible investors maybe seeking that information to know, hey, is this, is this someone we want to invest in? That was a fun one to do. But also, I was thinking when you, I think it was Leanne that said, um, making a plan on, on, on your report and thinking about the opportunities and what Catherine was saying about um, PPE to offshore wind, it enables you to think of diff out of the box of your typical, maybe what your products that you're offering are and think of ways you can enhance your report through different product offerings as well. Um, and also when thinking of the entire plan, uh, considering the age of your ESG data and timing of your other financial data and integrating it together because ESG and financial performance go hand in hand to tell the big picture of the of the entire story of the company. I think about the value to the company itself, like the perceived value of the business can be elevated, right? If you have a strong ESG plan in place, because if you're talking about mitigating risk and liabilities and things like that, you're protecting the company. Therefore, the company may be perceived as more valuable to an investor or to a buyer in that process. And the other thing that kind of comes to mind that we see is, is what I call the trickle up, right? So a lot of these big publicly traded companies, you may be a service provider or a component in their supply and logistics chains and your credits or the things that you're doing will then mm -hmm. transfer up into their ESG report and impact their processes, right? You can you can make them look better and help them. Mm -hmm. in yep. their goals. And yeah. so by disclosing it as a private company that may be doing business with other public companies, there's an advantage to kind of slot into their their current processes and their mindsets and their data. Yeah. Field. And you did there's so many different things to unpack there because I mean a good ESG strategy is really a good business strategy. It's almost like they should be synonymous or the same thing. And an annual report should be an ESG report. They should walk hand in hand together, you know? So there's that element to it. But then Jonathan, to your point, I mean, there are so many different companies that we've seen that discover a whole new line of business through this process and un uncovering, you know, what they're good at, what their strengths are, what their clients are investing in and what their clients need and providing those services or those products to them. I mean, you know, I think it, it just makes you smarter and it, it makes you a little bit more perceptive of your offerings and really uh, in a sensible, realistic, manageable way. You know, it's, it's not fluff that like the C-suite's talking about. It's something that, you know, the guys, the boots on the ground are making a difference, you know? Yeah. I think it also... It um it can uncover high potential employees too. 
and, and yeah. real pockets of brilliance in your company um, because yes. it has to be signed off and owned by on the executive highest level. And often you are going to have one of the topics that are really important to the ESG report is owned and, and nurtured and, and loved by somebody in the company who might not have high visibility straight to that top. So it uncovers capability of the organization down to the person level that you might not have known too. And that's, that's a great benefit as well. So well HR's, and HR's got a big stake in this, right? In, you do. In yeah. Regard, you know? yeah. In many ways. And you were, Jonathan, I know that like one of your areas of specialty is internal communications. And in terms of like managing from, let's say, a board of director level to the CEO who's kind of hired to walk this walk, right? Not just talk this talk and and all the way down through the company, because even if the board, you know, blesses an ESG strategy or says, yes, you know, this is a great report. If it's not implemented throughout the organization, it's a falsehood, right? And it mm-hmm. and it's not, you're not really doing yourself any service, but if you can couple that and part of your good governance or social or what have you, um, you know, your targets, your metrics, it's like really integrating that messaging internally and communicating it to every level of an organization then you've got something, then you're really on your mm-hmm. way, don't you think? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and it, I think a key thing to keep in mind if you're thinking about your first report and all this is how the messages are going to transition down through an organization and across through an organization. Because you know we see the classic mistake is we put our report out there and we told everybody to go look at it or go read it. <laughs> yeah. Or, you know, a welder is not going to do that. Up. You know, yeah. The, yeah. The, the the cook the cook in the you know in the kitchen isn't going to do it. You know, so you have to think about these sort of manager talking kits and points that get communicated for different audiences. Communicated up to the board, right? The you may have board members that need media training around this, that need talking points around this. Okay, out of your forty pages or whatever it is, what's most relevant for them to kind of go back to or hit on, or how to address a question if they don't fully understand the data? So. I think the report is just like the tip of the iceberg mm-hmm, in this right. process that you want to think about when you get into this, this situation is not just how do I get my data together and how do I put it out there, but it's how do I address it once I start collecting it and best distribute it and, and talk about it. And then, you know, future map it, which you guys, Catherine, are so good at, you know, talking about, which is not just today, but tomorrow, <laughs> you right. know, what's, what's tomorrow bring? When you're, you're talking about engagement, it's very circular, this reference, but when people are saying, what, is, what does COVID mean for ESG or what does, how does ESG measure the COVID resilience of a company? And part of it is how engaged is your workforce, right? So, and there are some sets of standards where for ESG standards where employee engagement is measured, right? With different ways. Sometimes it's qualitative, but there's different quantitative or such as length of employment or you know turnover rate and all that. And so if you, what you're talking about with this, rather than just having back in the olden days when there'd be a binder on the shelf, right? So your, your ESG <laughs> report's not a binder on the shelf. Well, if your company has already strong employee engagement, which is a factor in S, the social part, then it should be naturally already integrated into your day-to-day culture. So that is kind of circular, huh? But yeah. Yeah, and those well, and- mission, vision, values, all of that good yummy good branding stuff, labism, mm-hmm. branding, and yummy goodness. But I mean, all of that goes hand in hand with it, right? It does. So, 
should these companies be prepared to, while they're thinking about, you know, the whole report structure and mechanism, is there a concurrent track where they ought to be thinking about the distribution? Yeah, because I mean, the report doesn't stop the day you publish it. That's, you know, a horrible way of thinking about it. Like, well, we're done. It's, yeah. uh, we hung it on the, we hung the pdf on the website it's all over kids let's go home <laughs> i mean it's just beginning right i mean that conversation now you have that dialogue and you should be having a dialogue not a monologue but that's when it starts to get interesting and when you can really you know go year over year saying okay here's where we started we've changed our tune we want to do something different or this affected us this way this year. I mean, that's where, and that's where you really start the potential, the opportunity to make real progress, not only for your, your own employees and your company, but to make, you know, the world around you a little bit better, your clients a little bit stronger, a little bit better. I mean, that's where it starts to get really fun for me, you know. Well, you want to show progress, right? So year one, yeah. year two. So it can't be a once a year thing. Or you because you're not going to show progress. And I think it's important too, in terms of the media that you're using to publish it, having it out there on your, on your site. When we talked earlier about the workforce, the people entering the workforce now seeking what they do research on companies to go work for. And so having that data there available to read, you know, about on your website, um, is important. It needs to be accessible and not buried somewhere. Yeah, they really want all of those values and not only just as an employee, but as an investor. And I think BlackRock issued a paper on that. There's been the, you know, LinkedIn is just flooded with all of this stuff that you can read for days. I get, (laughs) you know, it's like I need to turn off the phone so I can just sit there. Jennifer, you touched on publishing just now, you know, Leanne, maybe talk a little bit about the online report versus just the PDF solutions that can be dealt or even an offline printed product. What options exist out there and what are some of the differences between those options and why you might want to consider a full evergreen digital report versus just your PDF report? Well, I think that the online report is a findable report. And, And granted, people will find the PDF if you're out there promoting it on LinkedIn um, or other social channels. If you're, if you've got some a little bit of PR behind it and press releases, there's nothing wrong with that at all. And we see tons of companies do that. Um, but I think that for as vast as this ecosystem is growing, you know, you have the reporting frameworks, you have uh, the ratings and rankers and aggregators out there. Um, you have all different types of stakeholders, employees, the public, it makes sense. And it, it's actually sustainable. You know, I always say that sustainability reports should in of themselves be sustainable and accessible. So when you talk about like ADA conformance, WCAG conformance, um, you know, you want to make it as accessible as possible. And the best way to do that we're doing this right now on this fancy pants Zoom internet machine thing, you know? I'm not sending you a letter and putting a stamp on it, you know? Uh, and so I think that from that that standpoint alone, um, you know, it, it 
you lean towards online reporting. And then there are SEO tools that you can leverage. There's title tags and meta descriptions. There's uh, XML sitemaps that you can upload to Google to kind of give Google a head start in helping find you. Um, there are a variety of different things that you can do. And then if you don't want to be found or if you want to have gated content, then you can do that too. If you want to speak to a certain you know, institutional shareholder, or if you can have it, you know, password protected. So you control, again, we're going back to the whole concept of branding and messaging and mission, vision, values, and all of this kind of whirls around in my little brain like a tornado. But at the end of the day, you're helping tell your story your way. And, and I think that that's the the best way, you know, because you know it better than anybody. And, and as long as you have something substantive, substantive to say, I think that, you know, it all works out in the end. And, and the online reporting is just another asset, another, you know, uh, arrow in your quiver, as they say, I'm trying to think of like, if there's anything else that I would do different. And I don't think, you know, I don't think there is, you can have, obviously for, those ratings and rankers out there that if they need a quick access to your performance data, you can make a PDF so they can download it. You can use all of those different assets that you've created online digitally for, you know, social sharing and telling your story and, and having conversations out there and leverage those things for reports um, other than ESG reports. So there's a, it's just a, a wide variety of tools that that you get when you kind of take that mindset and say, no, I'm going to be present and present online. You know, when the report's fully online from a user experience standpoint, you can send somebody to an exact page or image or graphic. Mm -hmm. When the report's encapsulated in a PDF, you can send them to the PDF, but then they've got to go do the work to drill into the product itself, right? Mm -hmm. And so from a user experience, you obviously may want the best of both worlds because you can do online and still give them the option to download. But I think it's important to consider with all these different stakeholders and all the ways they can access it from their phone, from their computer, from their tablet, right? Um, in, in a meeting, at an event, as a handout, you want to be prepared, I think, to allow for all the channels to work effectively. Right. Don't put the burden on the individual Right. Don't it because that's a barrier to entry, right? It's right. like if I can't see the PDF on my phone, am I really gonna pinch and zoom and try to get to the data? No, I'm just gonna say, all right, well, that's not gonna work. I need to find some other resource, you know. Um, and I think that uh an online report is a responsive report the way they're built today. All websites, all good websites are accessible, all good websites are responsive. Um, you know, and the nice thing about that is you talk about responsiveness. I mean, I'm thinking responsive in terms of, you know, whatever device, you know, cross-platform, cross-browser that you're on, but there's also just the responsiveness to, uh, you know, different entities that are out there and that may call up and say, you know what, we didn't find any data on this, or we wanted to know, X, Y, and Z, or we're about to give you a, a no score instead of a yes score here, here, and you can be literally responsive and log on to your site 
And if you've got an argument or a statement that you want to make to it, you can update your report. It's evergreen, you know, and we see clients do that all the time. So, So and they need to, to, it's because again, it's a dialogue, right? I think a fear of online publishing is that you have to get IT involved and it's a big process to publish a website when it's actually not when you have a product that can stand up your website for an issue report and you yourself don't need to be technical to go edit or manage it or change it. It's literally WYSIWYG and and you just right click and upload the thing you want to do. Yeah. If Um, I can do it, anybody can do it. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) But no, that's absolutely true. And uh, there are a lot of different platforms out there. I mean, we have our own, obviously, with the, the ESG Artisan that we're promoting now. But at the same point in time, I just think that it's it's important, whatever device, whatever CMS you're, you're using, you know, y- you need to use it all the time. You can't just do it once a year, you know, and that's the nice thing about being online and, and getting into platforms like ours, for example, where you can be responsive and be engaged. And it's something that you can keep up to date. You can you know, tether to your IR section or your IR section can tether to you as needed, you know, for different quarterly earnings and different reports that you want to put out there. So, I mean, it should become integral part of your publications and and your conversations with your investors. I think it's important too, what you were saying, that it's evergreen and editable. You know, some companies may not want to wait annually to publish this type of of data, especially if they have certain initiatives that they've rolled out and they're proud to really get it out there. Um, let's say they had a big hiring push for for diversity and inclusion and they, they yeah. want everyone to know and they don't yeah. want to wait eight months down the line to report yeah. on something they just did. They could do it right. real time. And, and you ladies always talk about data too. I mean, we could talk about, there's one thing that we can come back to print versus online, which I'll get to in a minute, which is cost. And It used to be cost prohibitive. It's not anymore, really. I mean, they're pretty comparable. But talking about data and timeliness of data, I mean, what's the disadvantage of producing a report and having it at the end of the year with data from the previous year, you know, versus other things? I think that that's important in terms of your first report. You need to be as current as your competition or as investors need it to be, right? And there's typically a season. Can you guys talk a little bit about that and kind of the the overarching, you know, reporting season? Well, I hate air quotes. Yeah. (laughs) Ideally, you would want your ESG data to come out no later than six, maybe eight months after year end. I mean, everyone is tight. You know, it's it's new to some companies. And so a lot of people are busy within that, you know, January, February, Marches timeframe, getting the 10Ks and everything out. But a lot of this can go hand, hand in hand as you're collecting that type of data. So sometimes they'll issue their 10K, then they start to collect the ESG data. But really, I mean, after June and beyond, it's getting to be a stale. little bit stale. Yeah. Yeah. What, what is there an advantage or disadvantage to doing a multi-year report for your first report? Do you see people wanting to come out with comparison data, say, you know, if, if this is I'm doing my, my, it's going into 2021, I'm going to do my 2020 first inaugural report. Am I also going, how much, how far back in time would I be going back or thinking about going back 
would I want to show 2018, 2019, and 2020? Or do I just want to start with 2020 as my raw baseline? Is there a discussion that's happening in the market right now with your clients regarding that? I haven't seen, and well, no one that we've encountered have has wanted in their very first report to publish, you know, let's say 2019 and 2018, because a lot of it, like when we were talking about using the reporting process to tell your story, things are coming to light, you know, in that, that year one. And so they can build upon that going in the future, but it's, it's sometimes hard I mean, I don't want to say it's hard to collect the data in your run, because like we said, we can, we generally start with data that's already collected. But in terms of really knowing um, what the benchmarks are and what peers are doing and everything, going back in time of what you did before, I think it's good to start. Start in year one and build on it for the future. And you can speak to what future plans are as long as you have the intent and following through with that, but really yeah. starting in year one. And did you have something to add, Catherine? Yeah. Well, there's also a challenge that, especially since we, we do a lot of work in the energy industry and there's so much activity around um, inorganic growth or buying new assets or, you know, mergers and acquisitions. Sometimes uh, in order to make it a comparable data set, you're going to have to start you're, you're not starting out at the basic level. You're going to have to normalize the data and make sure that you can really explain explain the, explain the data, which makes it more complex. And so one of the things that we like to tell people with their inaugural report is you really want to keep it as simple as possible for your first year. So if you have a history- Don't overdo it. Yes. Right, right. But if you have a history where you're going to have to explain, oh, we added this plant or then we rolled off this company, you know, would there- if it's going to be more complicated to get some data out, then that kind of flies in the face of simplicity. So, but then there are, there are some metrics that are already publicly being reported, like if the round safety, like TRI or things or information that you're submitting to something like OSHA, whether or not you did an ESG report or not. So that might be something where you could do a few years back. Again, you do, you know, we, we really put the discipline of financial reporting into the report. And so you really would have to explain in footnotes, like, you know, year the 2018 included this division, but not that division, et cetera, et cetera, which you can do, but you just need to be aware that you're, you're wading into that complexity level. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. glad you answered it that way, because I'm, I'm thinking in my mind, for somebody that's listening to this, are they thinking they have to go back more than one year in year one, right? And, and the theme that keeps coming up here is that less is sometimes a little more in year one. Mm -hmm. You can scale it. Don't be afraid. Don't be worried. It's you probably have the data already. And so, you know, I think it's good to kind of throw these questions out there so that we can say, no, don't worry about that. Or no, you don't need to deal with that in that process. Mm -hmm. But also yeah. you want to think about these things, right? Think about the right. various stakeholders, think about the business objectives and thinking about the communications. And it's not one and done to Leanne's point in this process. And so right. I think as you sort of set yourself up for the, this first report, this is the lens by which you want to be thinking about attacking this process. Yeah. How do you convince someone, how do you convince a CEO or a CFO or the board of directors? We didn't have this in our pre-planning. Um, so this is yeah. a pop quiz for me, <laughs> but I mean, uh, because I just want to know. Um, well, but how do you, how do you, what kind of language? There's so much stuff out there, right? 
that I yeah. guess you could use to frame your argument and proof points for your argument. What what do you guys recommend when people are trying to manage upward within their organization to say, no, no, this is really important that we do it this way. And here's why. Well, we, you know, we want the report to be owned by the company. So we will, we can make a recommendation, but we're, it's, you know, the, since we're in kind of this ambiguous time where it's not mandatory, there is no yes, there's no right or wrong. You can go back and, and ask some of your investors. So the, if the IR department knows of conversations they've had, that's, that's certainly part of the case. I like to say, look at your customers, right? So if you're if you have customers where they are saying, here's our scope one, here's our scope two, we're setting these targets, we expect supplier diversity, you know, all these different statements that they're publicly putting out there. It's, yeah. It seems short-sighted to not think that that's part of, it's no longer a competitive advantage, it's table stakes, right? Yeah. And so I would look at, I would look at the commercial reason behind it. Um, and also, you know, and you can involve the sales division in that as well. I mean, if there's a, a reason to go talk to a customer, it might be, hey, look, we're starting to track scope too. What do you think about that, right? Um, so that's, you don't want to push somebody to a decision because it needs to be owned. The buy-in needs to be at the top. So you shouldn't try to make something so big and bold that it's like this big campaign to get he or she to buy into it. But I, I would look, I look at the customers, you want to talk to the investors. Um, and then of course, you can always go to the competitors and see what they're doing. That's always a good place to, to show what's going on. But you get yeah. dangerous there. You don't want to keep up with the Joneses. You don't want to be, oh, look at their 200-page PDF report that goes yeah. on 25 pages. <laughs> we need pages something about. just like this. Yeah. 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 So you don't, you, it's, you know, it's very compelling and it's shiny and all that, but that doesn't mean that you need to do that. Um, but it's, it's still a data point. And we, we'd like to look at that as well. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like you say, it's really an opportunity to talk to sales, mm-hmm. talk to customers, you know, yeah. that shouldn't be the burden of the process. So back to that kind of, conversation right. we've had before coming back around again you, you make an excellent point talk to the contracting department right are you getting these huge complex rfps where it's no longer do you have a sustainability report check okay mm-hmm. now it's going to be like tell us you know expect that to get more complex mm-hmm. right so that that would be another place for evidence where it's it makes a business case for it and again this all management. feels yeah, and you're 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 feeling you know, this is taking it away from even the argument of it's the right thing to do, right? So do you want to do good? Do you want to be a company that people aspire to and admire and the, and your brand is is authentic and and people want to work for you? You can even just put that to the side and just say the crass commercial reason can be found too. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. <laughs> Well, what we're, what we're hoping, you know, what we want is a win-win, right? This is right. this is not, this shouldn't be a reporting burden. This shouldn't be purely a financial decision process. This should have impacts that extend throughout the entire organization. Because going back to all those early stakeholders, everybody should win in this mm-hmm. process. When you do it right, when you start off the right way, when you have a good strategy that is built through it and managed to, and then, you know, ex- expand it, you know? you know, year two, three, and four, as you start to think about where you want to be down the road and how you're going to improve and what you're going to report on. So that's, I keep going back to this, you know, huge opportunity with this process Mm -hmm. that exists, both for public and private. And in being transparent too, if you find an area where, hey, we, we didn't do so good here, 
um, we're going to make improvements. We're going to, we've identified it and we're going to make a change that, that goes a long way, a really long way. There's nothing wrong with saying, you know, nothing, not everything has to be a hundred percent perfect. You know, we, we analyze this, we realize we have room for improvement. Here's, here's what we're going to do for the future to, to make change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the worst the worst thing you can do is try to hide something or cover right. something up, right? right? The blowback on that is so much bigger and larger. We should yeah, all the cover ups like, worse than the crime, right? It's what you tell your kids. Right. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. It's like I know what you do. <laughs> yeah, just admit it. <laughs> and if you do this process now and don't wait, you can un- you can un- uncover where those gaps are. Yes. And you may not choose to report on those gaps, which you brought up earlier, Jennifer. You know, you can be working on those gaps. So when you do go to report on those gaps in year two or three, whatever it might be, those numbers are even more favorable in that process. Absolutely. Yes, Mm -hmm. absolutely. I think it would be huge, you know, given what we've talked about today, if you're listening to this and you're thinking about your first time report, you know, if each of us could just kind of give them a couple of points to really reinforce what we've talked about so far that they think they ought to, you know, if you took nothing else away, these two things, this one thing, you know, what would you like to leave uh, as an indelible impression in somebody's mind? Don't wait, get your story out there. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Or overwhelmed. Get get buy-in across a couple of functions so that you're already seeding the soil at the at the company for this to be a company-wide commitment. Yeah, don't go it alone. There's strength in numbers. Well, and I think that people think that this is going to be a narrow initiative, like they'll only be talking to two or three stakeholders in this process. And I think the thing that I can always stress is that people will get excited that you're suddenly doing it and they'll see value in what you're doing and they'll want to be part of it. So be prepared for your little community and your ecosystem to get larger as you get into this, right? Mm -hmm. I think that always surprises first time uh, report people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's like that manager wasn't ever engaged and now all of a sudden he's all over it, which is actually a good thing because if they get excited about it and they and they see opportunities there, they may come at it with something that you never thought of, you know? They may say, yes, we sell windmills. Did you not know that? You know, or whatever. I mean, you know what I mean? So there, uh, there's strength in that, in, you know, in that thought leadership and, and sharing that with others, you know? And a tactical thing, call around to all those rating agencies and find out what your score is if you can't yes. find find it. Because you're going to be surprised. You might be classified in a different sector. They're making assumptions. There might be one little piece of information that you can answer on the telephone and you raise and you raise your rating there. Mm-hmm. So go out in there and don't just be reactive. Like find out what people are thinking about you, even if you don't have a report yet. Well, and I think they want to talk to you. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. I think they're very open. The folks that we've met at SASB and talked to or at TCFD, super. Mm-hmm. I'd say don't be afraid to not keep up with the Joneses in this yeah. regard. Pick yeah. and choose your ba- pick and choose your battles in this process. Don't feel overwhelmed to report and do everything just because somebody else has been doing it for a year or two or a couple of years in this process. So uh, be selective, be mindful, be smart, and make sure it's yeah. business strategy as which which has come up multiple multiple times in this process esg is business strategy and business strategy is esg that's it for this edition of solving for b if you enjoyed the episode 
check out ESGreportingpartners.com for more content from our team about all things ESG and ESG reporting. Or visit brandextract.com for insights on branding and marketing. Thanks again for tuning in to Solving for B.